Father, thank you for this beautiful day and for all of your love and grace and mercy. Thank you for raising us up, discipling us in your word, that we might carry out the acronym for Grace and Truth Church, which is help to heal, empower, love, and prosper others with the same help that we have received from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to talk to you a little bit today about trusting God in times of trouble. And we know that in this life, troubles come. This is a fallen world. The Lord spent several thousand years preparing a plan. And he was able to provide a way back to him, back into relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Through the determinate counsel of God. You know who's on the board? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So through their determinate counsel, I love that. They got together, which they're already together. And they worked out the greatest political and military and spiritual victory ever accomplished, ever will be. They were able to restore something that man had given away. And God being just, but also merciful, he had a problem. Believe it or not. His nature is to forgive and to love and to bless. And he is love, but he's also just. And so he had to work it out so that he would not be... See, the punishment for sin is death. All sin. God is that holy and perfect. That's what the Ten Commandments were supposed to show us. Instead of like the Jews did, oh, we'll do everything you said. They should have said, Lord, fell down on their face right then. We can't do this without you. Exactly. Nevertheless, he worked it out that the sin would not go unpunished. And he would bring us back in without having to kill us. He did it by his son Jesus taking our place on that center cross. We're Barabbas. We're the ones that center cross was prepared for and Jesus took our place. I like, you know, people doing things that give them hope and encourage them and inspire their faith. But I think I saw... Actually, I think it was my wife reposted something that looked very cool yesterday. I haven't said anything to her. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong, so to speak, but it said something about the next time the devil reminds you of all of your crimes or your sins, tell him that Jesus has dropped the charges. Can I tell you that's not true? It's, it's much better... He paid. He just took our place. The penalty was paid in full. The wrath of God was poured out on His Son, Jesus Christ, on that cross until it was fully exhausted for every sin we've ever committed. 
the charges weren't dropped. And you see why it's important not to say that. Because Jesus, hanging on that cross, surely wouldn't say the charges were dropped. And they weren't. But he told us in this life, we would have troubles, didn't he? In John 16, 33, he said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You will have troubles. That's the negative. The positive. Take heart. Be encouraged. Why? There's trouble. Why would I be encouraged? Because I've already won the victory for you. That's what he's saying. These are some very peculiar times in which we live. I can remember my mama and grandma... I hear them say, I can just hear them say, I don't know how many times in my life, hundreds probably, that person would make a preacher cuss. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of them running around these days. (laughs) I've never seen anything like this. It seems like you're in the twilight zone sometimes. People do every wrong thing under the sun. Openly. And still be the victim. (laughs) I tell you. And it just seems like they just go. They go unchecked. Doesn't it? You know the Bible talks about that a lot. And again, he says, don't worry about it. I got this. I got this. Matthew 12, 36. I'm trying not to turn to too many because I got a lot of ground to cover. I'll start preaching somewhere if I go to it. Matthew 12, 36. He says there will be a day of reckoning. People will give account for every godless word they speak. Is that alright if I paraphrase? You'll know what will happen if I go there. You're going to hear the whole chapter. (laughs) In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talks about the end times. And because He prepared us for everything. He wanted us to be aware. And Matthew 24 Basically, the whole chapter, I think, is talking about, well, not the whole chapter, but most of it. But he's talking to them and he says in verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, he liked to sit and disciple and to, 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 it only talks about Jesus preaching a lot less than it talks about him teaching. And I can tell you of a lot of preachers that I know that privately will admit to you 
especially especially those that like to like to get people's emotions up and jump up on the stuff and rant and rave and get into a cadence. You know what I'm talking about. They've been rebuked by the Lord in many cases. Stop that. Stop it and you start teaching my people. So that's, thankfully, that's just what I've always done. I thought the word was more important than the entertainment. I like to go and watch a good preacher. I'm not one of them that can really put a good story together, take take a, a sentence and make a paragraph out of it and then preach on one scripture for three days. You know, I, I'd rather give you three days worth of scriptures because it's the word of God that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so you're going to hear a lot of the words from me. That's all I know to do. That's what he's told me to do. But he talks about the end times. And he tells them that a lot of things have to take place. He talks about the Antichrist coming and a lot of false preachers and teachers and and a lot of crazy things will happen. In 2 Timothy, Paul, writing to his to a young preacher that he affectionately called his son in the Lord, whom he had raised up to be a preacher, he tells him in in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, I'll just read that to you. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, hardship, struggles, and trials. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, Without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. So, some of those details you go, that sounds just like right now. (laughs) But can I tell you that people have been saying that for 2,000 years? And during the times that these were being written, uh, Christians were being used as sport uh, in the Colosseums and such as that, being fed to animals and made to, to fight one another. I mean, burned at the stake and hung on crosses. And, you know, Peter was crucified upside down right alongside his wife. Times are tough and they're weird. <laughs> and obviously, the end is closer now than it was before. If it was the end times when they wrote this 2,000 years ago, it's really the end of the end times now. And I think we're very close. I use the, the story of the Good Samaritan to show a picture of that, how I think that Right about 2,000 years in, we're getting really close from the time that Jesus reigned, uh, was here and did his ministry. But meanwhile, we're not supposed to lose heart. We're supposed to be encouraged. And we've been talking about all the promises of God, the provision of God for his children. 
what do we say, about 8,000 promises in this book, and for Christians, all of them are yes and amen. And then we've also learned that God has put spiritual laws in place for us to learn to participate with in order to take advantage of the things that He's put in place for our good. Amen. We've learned that faith is the hand that reaches out and obtains the things provided by grace. All the peace, love, and joy you'll ever need, you already have. You say, where? It's in there. In your born-again spirit, which you cannot discern with your natural senses. You have to learn to practice your faith just like you have to work out a muscle to make it grow and to be strengthened, you have to practice faith. That's why he, you hear Jesus talk about, oh, you of little faith. What He didn't mean you don't have much faith. He means what you have, you, you, it's weak. It's small because it hasn't been exercised. You're not using what you got. In other words, you don't need more faith. You just need to use what you got. We've all been given the measure of faith. It's like in the chow line, Mr. Andy, come through. Same scoop. The measure. The measure of... (laughs) Andy's thinking of stuff that wasn't so good. I'm talking about the measure of faith. We have the faith of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. But while we're here, and you were born for this time, God knew... What world you're coming to. I hear people say, as much as I love my child, I'm really I'm really afraid. I'm frightened for the world that I'm bringing them into. I, I get that. But, you know, without that, they wouldn't have opportunity to be a redeemed spirit. I, you ever heard of Jesse Duplantis over there in Louisiana? Kind of a funny guy. He's interesting. He's a great preacher, but he... He said that uh, when he was uh, he he was translated to heaven one day, and if you ever haven't seen the the video, get close encounters of the God kind he has, and uh, he talks about his trip to heaven. One day he was uh, he was eating lunch with some pastors. He was supposed to minister that night, and he was in the restaurant. And he said, "I got to go." He knew God was calling him, and he just had to go. He went to his his room. And he, and he knelt down by his bed, and that's the last thing. He was translated up into heaven. Anyway, this is his story, and, and I believe it. But anyway, he talks about the things he saw. God showed him heaven. He showed him hell. But anyway, he said all around the, the throne of God and around Jesus, there was these uh, little infants and children, angels, and they were telling, I want to be a redeemed spirit. I want to be a redeemed spirit. You think of all the ones that are being murdered every day. And uh, I want you to know as a Christian, it's your job not to agree with that. John the Baptist leapt for joy in his mother's womb when they heard the voice of Mary at the door, you see. That's a person in there. You're being prepared to reign with Christ. 
2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we suffer, if we endure the hardship with Christ, we shall also reign with Him. I talked to you a little bit last week about the not living by our feelings, but until they line up with God's feelings. Remember the three F's. Facts, faith, and feelings. And they have to be in that order because if you just go by what you feel or what you think is right, well, look around. That's what the world is doing. And they've come to all the wrong conclusions because they're built on the wrong foundation of what is right and wrong, etc., etc., etc. If God said it, that settles it. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is God-breathed and given by inspiration of God. You need to get that first. Otherwise, you'll be willing to say, well, this is just an old book written by a bunch of old white men about God. You see? And uh, he's evolved and, you know, it's not relevant. No. This book was written over a period of hundreds and hundreds of years by about 50 different writers that God had inspired to write it down, you see. It's written by the Holy Spirit. He's the author of this book. That's why the Word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. He wants to give you the desires of your heart. That's what it says in Psalm 37, 4. But most people don't read that whole scripture. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. And then... He will give you the desires of your heart. That person is someone who has found their facts in the word of God. Not on the trash heaps of human philosophy and worldly wisdom. The facts have to come from God. When you speak these out, I recommend that you read these scriptures out loud. When I came in, Randy and Norma Jean, they were over there reading scriptures each other, talking about stuff. The coolest thing I've seen. They're already at church. Huh? That's awesome. But you know, that's, that's faith comes by hearing, not by reading. So whether you read it to yourself or you listen to it on, I have like 235 hours online for you. I listen to the audio Bible, I listen to my messages, I listen to other things, but it's important that you hear the Word. Base your base everything on the facts of God's Word, and then that will bring faith. Your faith will rise up, and then your feelings will line up with God, and your desires will be in line with God. He said, how can two walk together lest they be agreed? Amos 3.3. 3. He wants you to get in lockstep with Him, and then, oh, what a time we'll have, He says. I said that, but that's what He said, basically. <laughs> he says, I know the plans that I have for you, He says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. He says, then you'll come and pray to me, and I'll hear you. You'll seek me and you'll find me 
When you seek me with your whole heart. Did we fall short of reading the whole scripture again? See. When you seek me with your whole heart. You will find me. He wants to be found by you. He's the one that drew you in to him anyway. Now he wants you to do a little pursuing. And he says, then I'm going to show you wonderful things that you did not know. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. It's a relationship God's calling you to. Not religion. Not religion. Remember I told you that... God's solution to the old fallen nature was not anything to do with self, self self-awareness, self-fulfillment, finding myself, self-improvement, because that just gives license to a rebel. It wasn't anything to do with the law, because the law was perfect and holy and overwhelming. But the Israelites proved for 1,500 years nobody could keep it. And it had no power to change the rebel. So that for that reason, God's solution is not religion either. He doesn't dress the old man up, send him to church and Sunday school and cause him to remember verses and prayers and songs although there's nothing wrong with those things his solution for the old man was execution the rebel had to be executed and that's what happened on the cross we were that rebel we were Barabbas that center cross was prepared for us and Jesus took our place the old man was executed Sin nature was executed, was evicted. The new nature of God came in, renewed our, our, our nature, our fallen nature was restored and renewed, redeemed, and sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now there's nothing compelling us to do the things that we used to do that we're now ashamed of. We still can with the best of them, but you can't say the devil made me do it anymore. You got the same power living inside of you that raised Christ from the dead. You need to learn to draw on that well. You need to learn to use the dipper, your faith, to draw on that limitless, powerful provision of God. You know it? We talk a little bit about hope. God in thirty-seven Psalm 37, 4, I said he wants to give us the desires of our heart. Well, remember, I tell you about faith and hope. Faith comes from the heart. Hope comes from the head. So faith comes from the heart. He wants to give us the desires of our heart. Starting to make connection there. And then hope gives our faith a target. It's good that we have a godly imagination. Not an evil imagination, but a godly imagination. To, to fi- picture 
the mansion that he has gone to prepare for us to envision the throne of God. He gave me that song, My Lord Jesus. And I talk about the river flowing from the throne. I, I see those things. I see the trees planted on each side of the river with the trees of life. I see the Lord sitting there and I can't wait to sit upon that throne with Him. Not because I'm Him, but because He's my Daddy. And it says we're going to get to sit up on the throne there with, with Jesus. Matter of fact, if it's not too deep, we're already seated there in heavenly places with Christ. But we need to have hope. And so I tell people, get your hopes up. People say, I don't want to get my hopes up. You know, that's a terrible thing. We don't want... I understand people suffer from disappointment and rejection and all these things. They don't want to get their hopes up. So they build walls and they just go day to day, just living, just making it. We need to get our hopes up. The problem is our memories are greater than our dreams. And that's a problem with God. If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. You need to get some godly visions, some godly dreams, some godly purpose in your life, and it'll keep you going. I talk to people every week who got somebody on, you know, they're just, they're elderly, they've given up. I say, well, they're dehydrated. Either because of medication or they just don't drink no water. And that's half the problem. And they just, well, they hadn't showered in three weeks. I know. It's the same old story. I've heard it so many times. They've just given up. You need to give them something, some reason to be here. That's why Christians are so blessed. As long as we have breath in our body, this is the day. The Lord has made. Well, he's only ever one day with God. It's called today. You see? It's the only one we're called to be concerned about. It's the only one that we're called to spend all the grace that He's given us for that day. The grace of God is the power and ability of God given to believers. The grace of God teaches us to be and to do and teaches and provides all for us to be and to do all that God has called us to be and to do. Show you. Titus 2.11 For the grace of God has appeared The King James says to all men, bringing salvation for all people. You see that? All people aren't saved though, are they? But the grace of God has appeared to all people that bring salvation. Why? Because we have to respond in faith, don't we? To that free gift. But look at verse 12. Training us. Grace teaches. People say, grace? Oh, that just means that I do the best I can and Jesus covers the rest. Well, one of Jesus' brothers, half-brother, 
Jude wrote a whole book about that. It's this long, one page. He wanted to talk about other things, he said, but he's so angry that people have slipped into the church trying to make the grace of God to a license to sin. It's not. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all men, training or teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. The grace of God teaches us how to live a good, clean life. Look at that. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So look at that. We need to get our hopes up. Because right since we're in Titus, look at the 13th verse. The very next verse. Talking about hope. And how hope gives faith a target. It's good to have things and to hope and believe for things. God does not mind us having things. He does not despise your work. He does not despise your property or your bank account. He wants to see your check register because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I can tell you where your treasure is if I were to look at your bank account. (laughs) Never mind. He says don't store things. Don't store your treasures up here on earth. So into the kingdom of God is what I'm encouraging you to do. And he does too. But, it says right here, waiting for our blessed hope. After it says that the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us to live godly lives in this present evil age. He says, and waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. There's our hope. That's what we've based our eternity on. And if you've based your eternity on it, can't you base your today on it? You've given all of your trust in forever to a God you cannot see. But all of his promises that talk about this life, you say, well, I hope so. And when you say that, you don't mean it because you're not, you're not using Christian hope. Because Christian hope is a confident expectation of good from God. Are you confident that he'll heal you everywhere you hurt and take care of everything that you need? He talks about worry. Matthew 6, I'm not going to go there, because it's the same thing that he talks about in Luke chapter 12. But he says, don't be anxious, don't worry about your life. And he tells you why, because God loves you. He takes care of all the things that you you can see. He takes care of the grass of the field, the flowers, look how beautifully they're dressed and arrayed and adorned. And the birds, the ravens in the air, they don't worry. Yet he feeds them. He says, how much more important are you than all of those things? And you don't think that a good, good father who loves you is going to provide for you and take care of you? Well, there's your problem. Oh, ye of little faith. Philippians. 
chapter 4 is where my wife spent the first year or two of our real salvation. Trying to learn to like me again. I think she finally got there. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, reasonable gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious. Don't worry. Do not be anxious about some things or most things. It says, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Isn't that interesting that he tells you, pray and be thankful. Because he tells us in Mark eleven twenty four through 26, when you pray, believe that you have what you pray for when you pray and you shall have it. So it's basically the same thing. Pray and just start thanking Him right then. Because you know if you're praying according to the will of God, that He hears your prayer. And if we know that He hears us, then we know that we have the petitions of our hearts. Wow. Man said, Lord, if you're willing... You can't make me clean. He says, if I'm willing, I'm willing. He said, if you can believe. If you can believe, all things are possible to them who believe. Everything, prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he tells people, here's here's what you need to do with your thinking. Because the battlefield's between your ears. An idle mind is a devil's workshop, remember? Listen here. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever and what is true, by the way? The word of God. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, what is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Get rid of your stinking thinking. There's always something good to focus on. There's always something good to focus on. You know, I remember a good friend of mine who's a great minister. They were talking about it. There was a terrible shooting. There's been so many now, unfortunately. I can't remember which one. Oh, I do. It was the one with where all the children were killed in the schoolhouse and that That's it. Sand, Sandy Hook, yeah. And I remember just like with every one of those shootings where they come into getting Christians face, where was your God you then? You know, where, if it's a good God, why would he allow all this? And it's a fallen world. Good things, bad things happen to good people because the devil 
is out to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly or to the full. But I remember this preacher started saying, he was in the teacher who took the children and hid them in the closet. He was in this uh, first responder who got there first and got shot. Or, you know, I might be getting off course, but you get the point. There's always something good to see. God was always trying to work in the midst of all these things that the enemy had been involved in. God is always good. And He's not the one stealing, killing, and destroying. It's the enemy of your soul. John 14, 27 is probably my favorite scripture. Jesus... Again, on that fateful night, he was betrayed. He had been talking to his disciples about all sorts of wonderful things. He had a lot to say, as you can imagine, knowing that he was about to be leaving this earth. He talked to them about the Father. He talked to them about the Holy Spirit. He talked to them about their new responsibilities. He gave them authority to use his name. And then he gave them in John 14, 27, a very personal gift. His own peace. The peace that had allowed him to sleep in the back of the boat when all the disciples thought they were going to drown because of the terrible storm they were in. The peace that allowed him to walk right through the midst of people who were trying to throw him off a cliff. The peace that allowed him to speak to his creation and tell the seas, be still. He said, peace I give to you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. There's our part. It's a relationship. We can't get into fear. We can't get into worry. Because when we do, we lose our peace. And the peace of God is supposed to be the umpire in our lives. When your emotions subside, then decide. You're being trained up through this life. A couple of reasons God didn't just take you when he saved you. He wants you to tell others, for starters... And the second thing is he's training you up. He's raising you up. Just like gold in the crucible or silver being refined in the fire. Heated up seven times. The dross removed from the top. Heated up again. The dross, the impurities removed from the top. You know when it finally was, the the refiner finally knew it was ready? When he could see his own reflection in it. You're just like that. Much more valuable than gold or silver, but that's the imagery that God is using in His Word to talk to you about what's happening to you. You're being refined in the crucible. And it seems sometimes unbearable. It seems sometimes like you're alone. But you're not. Jesus has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He's always there. It may seem like, well, maybe I've pushed him too far. Maybe I'm just the one person that 
can't be saved by grace. That's the devil lying, whispering in your ear. Because God has provided for your peace and your, your provision for all time. Not only in eternity, but in this life. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18, he talks about the armor of God. The armor of God. Ephesians, right before Philippians, where I was. In the last chapter, he talks about the armor. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Isn't that neat? I said, you should have the same power that raised Christ from the dead living on the inside of you. And the life that you now live is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. You need to believe that so that you can walk in it. You need to be able to draw on that strength. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. He's not telling you go do this on your own. He's not telling you go do this in your own strength. Matter of fact, quite the opposite. Paul said, in my weakness I am strong. So I'll boast of my weaknesses. Because when I am weak, He is strong. In other words, when I am weak, when I am not prideful, when I understand that I am helpless and hopeless without Him, then I am strong in Him because I am giving Him all the glory and all the honor and all the opportunity to come and work. Sometimes I just tell the Lord, this is your problem. I really believe we have that kind of relationship. And it's okay because He knows I'm not being arrogant or disrespectful. He knows I'm saying, Daddy, I need you. I, I, I'm stuck and I'm a mess. And I am a mess without Him. When I listen to these messages, I'm quite amazed that I was able to pull this off every week. Sometimes I get here going, I have no idea what in the world. Might not be the greatest, but it's impressive to me when I listen. And it blesses me. I'm like, wow, you really showed up, Lord. Why am I keep being surprised about this after 12 years or whatever? I'm not surprised. He's faithful. He says, put on the uh, whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Okay? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is one of your tests for this life. This is one of the main tests for your life. You know, there's a scripture in here, and most you won't ever hear most preachers preach it because it freaks people out. Especially if you read in the King James Version. It says, Be ye perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Nobody's perfect. <laughs> it's in there, isn't it? And Jesus is the one that said it. <laughs> you are perfect in your spirit. That's why we need to understand spirit, soul, and body. Our spirit is perfected forever, once and forever, with Jesus. When Jesus did what he did for you and you accepted his sacrifice on your behalf, your spirit is born again, renewed and perfected, incorruptible forever. One third of your salvation is over. Now you're working on the soulish realm, your personality, which has been all messed up by the world. And it's needing to come into agreement with what's in this spirit and in this word, which is spirit and life. And then this will just follow suit, this body. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present 
darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He's talking about the enemy. This is a spiritual life. When I came to know the Lord, I was so mad at the devil when I started finding out these truths. I, didn't want, I, wasn't, I wasn't casting all the blame for my life. I was prepared to take responsibility for everything that I had done and caused and all that. And I knew there was still fallout. I got a son who's a lawyer right here in town. He doesn't speak to me. I don't think. Kind of, maybe a little bit. But that's okay. There are consequences for this life. I'm not opposed to the death penalty. I don't want anyone to go to hell. But the point is, the foot, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And I'm not opposed to seeing that person that did terrible things in this life repent in the last days if they really do and come to know the Lord. If they didn't really repent and it was all just jailhouse Repentance, then God knows the difference. See, we're looking on the outer man. God sees the heart. Let, let him sort it out. We don't have to worry about those things. We just love and we realize that even in the worst person that you can think of, that's not who God created them to be. That's the devil at work in that person. And the best thing that could happen for them is to be delivered and freed and come to know the Lord. And I know that's hard, especially when someone has been so, so awful. And you know, God has enemies in this world. And there's worse things than war. They could be here. <laughs> Instead of our boys over there, keeping them at bay. And we need to start giving more thanks for that. In the name of Jesus. But... He says, put on the full armor of God. It's important that we remember our battle is not against people. And to see them, do just do whatever it takes in your mind until you get the truth of this. That this is a spiritual battle that everyone born goes through. That's why children, until they come to know the Lord, their parents are there to challenge Satan's claim on their lives. You will not. I'll whoop that butt. I'll take that game away from you. You will not what? You, you know? They need that. God says if you don't discipline them, you hate them. The reason that most people don't want to discipline their children right is because they don't want to spend the time that it takes to do it. By the time they get into trouble, they should have been told about that at least a couple of times. Progressively stronger Next time, until it gets to the next time that you do that, I've already told you. And then, don't back down. And then once you do it, then comes the hard part that most parents don't want to do. First of all, don't let that happen when you're angry. And, and then finally, you go and spend the time talking to them and loving on them and showing them that it actually did hurt you worse than it hurt them and why you had to do it until they hate the looking forward to that conversation way more than the whooping or whatever thing you took away and then that's proper, you see? Because they'll remember those. They'll remember those times when they sat there and you cried 
because of what you had to punish them. And you told them why it hurt you and how much you love them and how much they are, not, they are better than that. And that's not what they're created for. And that's not how you're going to allow them to be. That's proper. Some of you are way better at it than me. I'm just saying I've learned these things from the Scripture. I, you know, But the truth is, we go through discipline. God disciplines those children whom He loves. And if we will examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith, which the Bible instructs us to, then He won't have to. But He's not going to come and put sickness on you. He's not going to come and put divorce on you. He's not going to come and put death on you to teach you a lesson. That's where error in the church in many cases, and they teach people that that was God doing that. It wasn't. God teaches us through His Scripture. And if we will allow Him, we will learn from our mistakes. Age does not always guarantee wisdom. I've ministered to lots of old men in prison who were just as dumb as they were when they got there. Just as lost and just as angry and bitter and ready to go out. They've learned how to be... This next time they won't get caught because they've learned a few things while they've been there, you see. Now that's not wisdom. (laughs) Wisdom is a choice, really. (laughs) Testing, as it turns out, if you look it up, is a way to ascertain the worth of a person by subjection to certain examinations. And that's what happens. We've learned that our battle is not against flesh and blood or against God. In Ephesians 6.12, it tells us that. I just read it. And God gives us armor. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness in your heart. You need to know that you are righteous. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This will help you to thwart off the attacks and the accusations of the accuser of the brethren, which is the devil. And the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that's the only offensive weapon. The Word of God. I had a hard time with that when I came to know the Lord. I was ready to whoop the devil and everybody that had anything to do with him. And God said, no, you got to learn all over again, son. You got it all wrong. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Trying to help you guys get there. With all prayer and supplication. God has given us His armor. His own armor. To thwart off the attacks of the enemy. You know, in the old covenant, I tell you how it's old things were physical examples in type and shadow of spiritual truths revealed now in this in this realm. So like 
when they fought all the enemies of God, when they inhabited the, the promised land, and now we are in the land of promises. So it's a spiritual realm instead of a natural realm, you see. But the spiritual does affect the natural if we will allow our faith to work. But anyway, in Judges uh, chapter 3, the first couple of verses, he says, you know, they had, they had defeated a lot of the ites in the land. You know, the Amorites, the Canaanites, all the ites. Those were the enemies of God. And if you look at all those tribes, they all have meanings. And they are different areas of your life. Maybe I'll do that one day. And I think you'll enjoy that. Different areas of our life that we'll, we have different trials and we have to overcome in this life through testing. But God left some of the enemies in the land. Why? Anybody reading that yet? Try not to go there. Joshua Judges. Okay. Judges, judges, this is really interesting. If you're believing that these are natural examples of spiritual truth for today. Judges chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. So they had driven out all these other enemies. And then it says to open up chapter 3 of Judges. Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war. To teach war to those who had not known it before. He left some enemies in the land to teach those young ones coming up the art of warfare. And you too are being trained up for warfare. Remember our kingdom. You are kings and priests now. In the order of Melchizedek with Jesus Christ. Your priestly role is one of prayer. And your kingly role is that you will rule and reign with Christ. Right now you're a baby. And you're being trained up to rule and reign with Christ. Through your ministry of prayer. And that's how you're going to win some of these battles that are raging in this world today. I know people that say they really know for a fact that they have changed things in history all the way back to from World War II and things like that, certain things through powerful prayer. Prayer changes nations. Prayer changes lives. Prayer is powerful and that is your ministry. And when you start believing... I, I, I remember the first time I started really getting a hold of this and I was learning to pray in the Spirit, which is way more powerful and everything else than it cuts right to the chase. But anyway, this lady said she was a, uh, a traveling evangelist and she was talking about she had a cousin uh, who was in Vietnam. And uh, she hadn't heard from him in a little while. But she was asleep one night, and the Lord woke her up 
And she saw someone and they were in deep distress. And the, and the Lord told her to speak out some things. And, and, and she remembered she would say, run, 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 stop, lay down, hide. And then in a few minutes again, she'd say, get up, run, 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 run. No, the other way, you know, this went on for like half an hour, she said. And then she just prayed some more and went to sleep. She got a letter from that cousin in Vietnam about a month later. And he told her he was, he was giving thanks because he said the most amazing thing happened to me. I was, I was, we were on an ambush or something in my platoon. I got lost. They were all killed except for me. And they were trying to find me. The enemy was trying to get me. And he said, I heard God tell me when to run and when to hide. And every time I would run, I would run and then I would hear stop. And I would hear lay down, hide. And I would crawl under in the bushes. And then they would come running past me. And then they would tell me again, run the other way. And, I, and everything was directional and it was from God. And, and she realized then that it was her who was interceding for him. And God needed her. God needed her. God needs you. We're his hands and feet in this world. You understand what I'm saying? The enemy's job, just like from the very beginning, it's always been the same. When he said, are you sure? Did God really say you not to eat of any of the trees in the garden. He wants to get you to doubt God's goodness and God's faithfulness. If he can do that, then he'll get you on that downward slope, that downward decline, the same that Adam and Eve and everybody who's ever gone away from God in this world has done. Get you to mistrust God if he can get you to doubt God's goodness and God's faithfulness. He Then mistrust leads to disbelief and then disbelief leads to disobedience. You see? And then your heart will begin to get hardened. But with Jesus, we replace all that stuff. We replace disbelief with faith. We replace disobedience with obedience. We replace mistrust. We replace mistrust with trust. And that's the point of our testing. It's incomplete until we trust fully in God. Remember, faith is an act. Trust is an attitude. And we have to get to a place of trust with God. Knowing good God, bad devil, that settles it. God loves me. I'm righteous. I have the blessed breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. I am saved. I am redeemed. I am justified just as if I'd never sinned. God loves me and He doesn't use me or love me because I'm lovely. 
He doesn't use me because I'm worthy. He uses me because I'm available. It's incomplete. Our faith, our life as Christians are incomplete until we get to a a place of trust with God. Psalm 37.4 says, Commit your way to the Lord and trust in Him and He will do it. It's that simple. It takes our total commitment or surrender to trusting in the Lord. We have to believe that He is with us, that He is for us, and that He really does need us to help to heal, empower, love, and prosper His children. But until we receive those things for ourselves and believe them, we're unable to to help others with that same help we receive because it has to come from the overflow. You see? I almost got to the message. Lord, thank you for this day. And thank you for your truth, your word, your love. Lord, we just want to hold on to these truths. And we want to learn to trust you in times of trouble. Knowing that if we will just continue to believe in you, to trust in you, to hope in you. That you are working everything for the good. For those of us who love you and are called according to your purpose. We believe you Lord. Help our unbelief. Help us to put total confidence in our relationship with you. Help us to spend more time with you. Just talking with you and, and, and being straight up with you Lord. And receiving from you all the good things. The information as well as the provision and the strength that you have for us for this life. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here with us to lead us and guide us. Thank you, Father, that our names are written in the book of life. In Jesus' name, amen.